The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Stephanie O'Connell. Uh, she is a writer. Uh, she has a, just come out with a new book called The Broke and Beautiful Life. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Hi, thank you for having me. So let's just start with your background a little bit. It's kind of an untraditional background to be a financial writer, but tell us your history and how you got to write this book. Untraditional indeed. <laughs> I actually started out uh, majoring in drama in college, and I pursued professional theater for the majority of my professional career, and I worked very consistently. But even in that uh, consistent line of work, it's not very well-paying, and I got very frustrated having my income being so variable and so restrictive that I really wanted to know how I could maximize my money so I could do more with it and have goals outside of just getting to the next month or just getting to the next job. And so I really took financial education on very seriously and started implementing some of the very basic uh, fundamentals of, you know, budgeting and financial planning and saving so that I could start to have some more long-term financially viable strategies in my life and maybe share some of those with some of the other people who I know could have benefited from that. And in doing that, I started The Broken Beautiful Life, which is my blog. And then as that took off, uh, it became a book. And now I write about finance full time, which is pretty wild. Is this design, this book is designed mostly for young people in big cities who are kind of struggling to make ends meet, or has it got a broader market than that? Well, that's my perspective, but I definitely think it appeals to a broader market. Um, it's really for anyone who wants the basic lessons of um, budget, money management, but who doesn't necessarily respond to what is often the face of budgeting and money management, which does, doesn't typically come from a young person who, uh, you know, has done what maybe is something more relatable to your average person than, say, Dave Ramsey or Sue Zorman or somebody like that. So I'm trying to be um, a voice for those people who haven't felt like they've been given these money lessons from someone they can relate to. You begin the book by saying you love money and you want financial freedom. Is that something that most people you think can achieve? Absolutely. I don't see why. I think people get in their own way. I think they shut down to the idea of having enough because they just don't think it's possible. And so if it's not possible, then why try? And my challenge to everyone is if it's possible on an actor's salary in New York City, then it's possible for anyone if you're willing to put in the work and and apply this financial fundamentals. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you say that a lot of people are always told to do what you love, uh, love what you do, 
um, and that'll pay off one way or the other. Uh, and therefore, you can pursue your passion and pay your bills at the same time. Is that realistic for an awful lot of people? I think it's it's a little limiting to say only pursue your passion. You have to if you want to pursue your passion, that's wonderful. I think you should be passionate about the things you do. That that's what I do. That's how I live my life. However, at the end of the day, if you're not financially viable and you're constantly worried about falling into deeper debt and how you're going to get to the next month of your bills, you're not going to be good at whatever it is your passion is because you're going to have so much financial stress. So I say find strategies, find ways of bringing in additional income, find a sustainable solution. For me, it was writing about money um, that allows you to pursue your passion, yes, but on, a, on terms that aren't going to make you suffer financially because it's, it's when you get into this, this fight or flight mode, this crisis of financial mode, that you just lose all of the joy around those passions and they're not worth it anymore. You say you should commit to financial literacy. Um, mm-hmm. Are you finding that most young people today are financially literate or not after they've gone through high school and college? I don't find that at all. Uh, I know that I personally didn't have any kind of formal financial education training uh, in school. It's embarrassing how little I knew how to do by the time I graduated college with a very expensive degree. I mean, we're, and, and we talk about the you know, student loan debt right now, and it's crazy because these, you know, 17, 18-year-olds are signing up for tens of thousands of dollars in loans. Meanwhile, they don't know the basics of, like, balancing their budget. So I think people are taking on these major financial obligations without having a very um, simple understanding of what is at the basis of finance and day-to-day and longer term. So, yeah, I think it's a big problem, and my goal is to get people talking about it and doing something about it. So what should people do? Say they're 18 and they haven't saved much. Their parents haven't saved much. Uh, they gone to a good college. It's fifty or $60,000 a year. They just don't have the money. Uh, they realize a lot of debt, but they, they want to go to college. What should somebody in that circumstance do? of alternatives to a fifty or $60,000 a year college. I think accepting that that is the only option is crazy. Um, there, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of, you know, going two years at community college, transferring to get your degree, or uh, applying for scholarships, applying for grants. There's so much free money on the table that people aren't maximizing. There are so many opportunities that don't have to come from borrowing. Sure, if you need to borrow something, you can borrow something, but not if you're not going to be seeing a return on investment based on your major. Look at me. Here I am talking with my theater major. But in all honesty, like, if I had to take out $200,000 or more, just to finance that, that would that would have been a very, very poor choice. That would have crippled me for the rest of my life. And so it's, that's not worth it. And that's not a good, that's a big decision to put on a 17 or 18 year old. So I really encourage, you know, schools and guidance counselors and parents to really try to instill the reality of those numbers into someone who's making that kind of a choice. And look for the options. Like, I've written so much about grants and scholarships, and it amazes me how often 
the scholarships never get claimed or they never, don't give them out one year. Sure, yeah, the big national ones, local school ones, stuff, those always go out. But they're on the local level, too, and they're not always need-based. You can get it based on where you live, based on a, a variety of factors. So I just challenge people to challenge themselves and explore the alternatives and don't simply accept that you're going to be out $50,000 a year because that's just what college costs. It doesn't have to. You say that a lot of people, if they have not figured out what they're going to do, they don't really have a passion for any particular area, uh, get mm -hmm. stuck in what you call comfortable misery. Uh, you <laughs> say that's not yeah. something people should do. How does one avoid uh, being settled in comfortable misery? Well, I think it's a challenge. Uh, I think it's a big, it was a big challenge among my generation who graduated in 2008, the year of the financial crisis, and then just tried to get whatever job they could. And when they finally got something, they just, you know, hung on to it. And now they're kind of finding themselves five, six years later saying, well, this isn't really what I want to do, but, you know, I'm not really sure how I can leave because I make all this money and that's comfortable, but it doesn't make me happy. And so that's what comfortable misery is. And I encourage people to get out of it as soon as possible because what happens is once you start taking on a major financial obligation like a mortgage or you have a family and children, it becomes so much harder to leave. You become so much more dependent on your income. So if it's really a priority for you to do something else and explore something else, I say try to do it young. Start something maybe on aside, create a lot of cushioning and savings from your very comfortable job, however miserable it is, until you find that alternative that really can provide a new pathway that isn't maybe so miserable. A lot of people today are graduating from college. I've heard as much as 50% and going back and living at home again uh, because mm -hmm. whatever they're making is barely enough to, to service the student loans, never mind rent an apartment, get cars and start families and all that. Um, do you think that's a mistake for them to go home like that or, or they feel they just have no choice? What would you recommend for somebody graduating, not making enough, and going back and living at home again? I mean, it's a great way to save money, absolutely. Uh, of course, if you live somewhere where your opportunities are going to be limited in your job search, well, then maybe living at home isn't the best choice. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think it's a bad idea to live at home while you're job searching or while you're trying to, to save up. I mean, it's not the most pleasant living situation for some people, but uh, if it means that you can bank, you know, four or five, six months worth of savings and create an emergency fund for yourself, well, that's pretty powerful, especially when you're starting out. So, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing at all as long as uh, parents are on board. <laughs> Indeed. Now, you have a chapter what you call Money Mentality, and this mm -hmm. is kind of how you formed your financial habits. What are some things people should kind of analyze and how they were brought up and how those attitudes are affecting the way they deal with money today? Well, I think it's really powerful to look at your monetary examples in your life. Uh, like, I, like we talked about before, there isn't any kind of, or there is some kind, but not everyone has access to formal monetary financial fundamental uh, training. So the way we learn how to deal with our money is from our examples in our lives, our parents, the, our friends, the people we grew up around. And people kind of just adopt these habits without really thinking about them. 
But then they, and then when they realize they, you know, I'm struggling with money all the time. This is not the way I want to live. And then I say, well, you know, what were your parents like with money? And they're like, oh, not so good. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe you should take a look at what habits you've adopted from them just by virtue of being exposed to that your whole life and seeing what the alternatives are. So I really challenge people to kind of take a look at what their money blueprint is. And that's the approach to money, how you think about money, how you deal with it in the day-to-day, how you plan or don't plan, how you treat each paycheck, how you treat each cent that comes in or out, and then try to see which habits are working for you and which maybe aren't serving you as best they could and what are the alternative approaches. You said that there were two major... Uh, money revelations in your life. Uh, the first one is that life is expensive. Why was that a revelation? <laughs> well, you know, I was uh, growing up. I, you know, I am middle class, so I didn't really have to pay for too much beyond just what was like, you know, a treat. If I wanted to go to the movies, I had to pay for it or whatever. But I didn't have to pay for like access to basic uh, personal care products or things like that in my house. My parents let me live there rent-free, so that was nice till I was 18. <laughs> so when I first got out and into the world, I just remember like looking up these things and thinking, I cannot believe how much this costs. Like, toilet paper. I did not want to spend $20 on some rolls of toilet paper or, you know, health insurance. Goodness gracious, that was a huge one. You know, I look up health insurance and I could practically pay my rent with what, how much health insurance costs. So it's just these things you, I kind of took for granted, at least in my upbringing, and I find a lot of young people are, and people in general take for granted until they have to pay for it. It's like, wow, just these little mundane expenses of life are so huge. And so best to be prepared as best as possible. People, I guess, kind of sheltered. And the second revelation you had is that pursuing your passion is tough stuff. You, know, you, you went into this thinking it was going to be relatively easy, and once you actually did it, you found it was tougher than you expected. Yeah, I never thought it would be like totally a breeze, but what my understanding was was once I got into a certain level, I had an assumption that things would only only get better. And this is probably true for a lot of people in their careers, and especially in the arts, the trajectory isn't necessarily a nice upward linear thing. It's kind of like a crazy roller coaster. So I graduated college, and I got this really amazing job working in a show and traveling the world and getting paid um, decent money. And so after the recession, um, that job ended, and I came back to New York as an unemployed actor, in the middle of this, um, the downturn. So it was really hard. And there were a lot of unemployed people and a lot of unemployed actors and not many jobs. And one of the first job offers I got was somebody offering me uh, to play three leads and three musicals, which is great. But they were going to offer me something like $200 a week. You know, this wasn't a summer job in college or anything. This was my career. And I just, I had to turn it down, and it was horrible because, of course, that's what I wanted to do. But, like, it was so upsetting to have come from this really, really high point when I had just started out to a great job but horrible pay. And it's it's crazy because 
I know that that's true throughout people's career. I know people who go on Broadway and they make six figures for a year and then they don't work for the next two years or the next job offer they get is a $500 stipend for two months of work. And that's the reality. So that was one of the things that really prompted me to say, well, I got to find alternate sources of income and I have to find a way to stretch every dollar I have. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Stephanie O'Connell. She's written a new book called The Broke and Beautiful Life. Her website is thebrokeandbeautifullife.com. We'll be back after this. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune into Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with a passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer? Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Stephanie O'Connell. She's the author of a new book called The Broke and Beautiful Life. Her website is thebrokeandbeautifullife.com. Welcome back to the show, Stephanie. Great. So happy to be here. So you have a whole chapter on what you call financial building blocks. What are some of the main building blocks that people need to do to kind of get along well financially when they haven't had much financial education? I break it down into five major blocks, and those are um, how to spend. And by that, I don't mean how to open your wallet. I mean how to open your wallet in a smart and savvy way. Uh, The second one is how to save, which I know is a challenge when uh, expenses kind of eat up everything before you get a chance to save. The third is how to pay down debt, whether it's student loan debt, personal debt, uh, credit card debt, just devising the action plan and kind of facing it head on. The fourth is how to build credit, as credit is a number that affects 
how much of our financial lives and how much we wind up paying on, on interest rates and mortgage and everything. And the fifth is how to grow your money and plan for retirement. So that's more long-term financial planning and uh, getting ready for the future. So those are the five building blocks I try to uh, address to kind of just give everybody a lay of the land for what the structure is for basic financial fundamentals so they can both read the book and kind of dive into it on their own more afterwards. How can most people legitimately save and where should they put the money? Because if they put it in a savings account or a CD, they're going to earn nothing these days. Yeah. Well, I... I I actually missed the first part of that sentence because I think, think our connection was a little rough. <laughs> so I was just saying, you know, for most people who it's very hard to make their basic expenses, mm-hmm. how can they save on top of that? And then once they are saving, where should they put the money since uh, they're right. going to earn nothing on savings accounts and CDs today? Right. So one of the big uh, things I talk about is knowing what your make or break number is. And what that is, is your very basic essential cost of living and committing to making at least that amount of money. Because a big thing with uh, masters and millennials and freelancers and people who don't necessarily have very big or certain streams of income is that it's very hard for them to plan. And so I say, okay, I understand that. But what you can do is plan your expenses. And if you commit to making at least enough money to cover those expenses and another 10% or another 20%, well, that means you have that money to set aside for savings. So I really challenge everyone to get grounded in what the reality of their numbers is. And if they're not able to hit that threshold in their earnings, then they need to find ways to cut back those expenses. And so that means saving strategies. That means getting a roommate or finding more affordable alternatives for the groceries or other basic expenses, cutting cable, et cetera. And then once they find the savings, I definitely recommend some uh, conservative, uh, not necessarily investments, but just savings, even though they have poor returns for cash that might need to be liquid, like an emergency fund for something that would be needed immediately. And then for longer-term savings, absolutely, put them in the market, put uh, put things into uh, some index funds that are diversified and just kind of set it and forget it and uh, let it grow is my policy. And then in your building blocks three and four, you're talking about how to pay down debt and developing a debt uh, repayment strategy. What, what are some things people can, are not aware of that they should do to get their debts under control? Because so many young people have so much student loan debt, credit card debt, uh, that they're spending a lot of money just paying that debt and not being able to save or have a decent life. Yeah. Well, I think one of the big things is people hide from their debt because it's really scary and it's really overwhelming, and that is really detrimental as not only does it ruin your credit, but it, it just makes um, it grow and grow and grow. And so basing it head on is one of the best things you can do. The also, um, the other big thing is just uh, negotiating it. Debt is negotiable and you can negotiate with your lenders. So I recommend people get on the phone and call with each of their lenders and see what they can do uh, in terms of their rate, in terms of their amount owed. 
uh, if they can, there are some tons of, of services where you can consolidate. You know, just doing the research. I, I say this again and again. It all comes down to just challenging and finding an alternative to, to make this more affordable for everybody. So um, really getting grounded in the numbers, facing up to it, negotiating where you can, and creating a strategy. As soon as you start to take those steps, it all becomes much more manageable and simpler to break down rather than some big, ominous, overwhelming thing where you don't know where to begin. How should people build their credit? And do you get a sense that a lot of young people are watching their credit report and score and keeping on top of it or don't have a clue of what's going on with their credit? I'm afraid it's more of the don't have a clue. <laughs> uh, I don't think people really understand what credit is. I think they know what the commercials are, but um, they don't know much more beyond the free credit report.com. And so, uh, when it comes time to try to get a loan or mortgage or qualify for a credit card, I think people are unpleasantly surprised when they find out that they have a low credit score and that they're going to not qualify for something or they're going to have to pay a lot more in interest. And so um, I just recommend that people use the resources out there because there's so many and so many of them are free, too. I was thinking of things like Credit Karma, um, where you can check your score, and just also those sites have a lot of just information about credit in general. You know, if your score's not doing well or if there's something on your report that you need to remove, like they have all the resources you could possibly imagine on how to improve and how to take care of any mistakes. And then your building block number five is how to grow money in retirement. Do you find a lot of young people do not participate when they're offered 401ks with matches because they don't understand the power of compounding? Well, I think not understanding the power of compounding is a huge problem among young people because I can't imagine anyone in their right mind wouldn't max out their match if they did. Um, I also find, though, that the problem is that a lot of young people don't have access to a lot of those employer benefits that people have had in the past. So uh, millennials are more... Uh, they have to take more responsibility for their retirement. They don't necessarily have a 401k match offer. So I try to, you know, inform them of what their options are. I would definitely recommend people get some Roth IRAs, and I definitely recommend that they self-educate uh, to know what their options are, even if they're not coming directly from an employer. Then you've got a whole section on spending. You, you talk about the zero-sum budget. Uh, as a way of getting control of your spending. How does the zero-sum budget work? So the idea of the zero-sum budget is taking every dollar of your earnings and picking a destination for it. And what I mean by that is taking everything you earned from the previous month and using that number to build your budget for the following month because that makes sure that you're not going to spend any more than you may. That way you're totally in the clear um, and not going to be going into debt. It, but it should also mean that you're designating some of that money towards a savings account and towards a retirement account, for example, or towards taxes if you pay your own taxes, and then designating everything in the, else in the budget until you get back down to zero. So your expenses will eat up a chunk, and then whatever is left over, you designate to the last dollar towards everything else, whether it's fun, whether it's savings, whether it's retirement, and hopefully a combination of all of the above. Do you think people have the discipline to do that? That takes a lot of tracking of all your numbers all the time, and a lot of people probably wouldn't 
be able to do all that? I think everyone can do it. It's just not a matter of if they're, they're willing to do it. Uh, you know, and it's just like any goal, you know, it's everyone has a basic idea of what they should do of spending less than they earn and saving money and all this stuff. But putting it into practice is where things get challenging. But tracking it is the most uh, powerful tool I have found in making a change for people. And what, if people can get into the habit, it transforms their financial lives because as soon as they're grounded in those numbers, all the opportunity for the bigger goals, for the savings goals, for the retirement goals, et cetera, all those opportunities start to open up to them and then they get hooked. So I'm a huge, huge promoter of track, tracking spending and I do it myself and I do the zero budget and I could not recommend a single uh, financial action uh, to be more effective in getting somebody started on a path to a better financial future. And then you say a way to help people do that is the cash envelope budget. I've heard of people using jars, but it's basically you're supposed to put physical cash in various envelopes or jars to see where it's all going. Is that the idea? Exactly. It's about being accountable. And because cash is tangible and not like a credit card where you can easily just keep swiping, uh, it's much easier to hold yourself to certain limits. So if I budgeted $300 for groceries, for example, and, you know, at the end of the month and say, oh, I, I'm at the store and I only have, you know, $15 left in, in my envelope, well, then I have a very concrete choice to make. I can either okay, stay within that $15 limit, or I'm going to have to take from another category, another envelope. And that kind of helps you realize what that trade-off is in your budgeting in a very physical, tangible way. You also talk about the latte factor. This is people spending more on uh, Starbucks coffee than they expect. What are some of the things that people spend money on they don't really realize they're spending on money on that they can cut back on without really hurting their lifestyles in a major way? Yeah, it's all of those little things. So the biggest one I feel that people reference and can relate to is the coffee, the coffee on the go. But it's also any kind of like daily habit or indulgence. So for people that might be lunch on the go, that might be a trip to the vending machine around 3, 4 o'clock for the pick-me-up. It might be the daily happy hour. It might be just alcohol in general. It's uh, going to the movies on a weekend night. And I'm not saying that people need to eliminate all those things from their lives. When thing is watch out for it being a habit and being a part of the daily routine and bring some more consciousness to when you do make those purchases or you abstain from them so that when you do decide, okay, I'm going to go get a latte, well, that's special and it's not something you're simply just doing out of habit and draining your bank account $2,000 a year. You consciously decide, okay, it's Saturday, I'm going to, I'm going to have a latte because I'm having a lunch date and this is a special occasion. And that kind of frees up the budget for so many other indulgences, big or small. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Stephanie O'Connell. Uh, she's done a book called The Broke and Beautiful Life. You can find out more about it at her website, which is The Broke and Beautiful Life. We'll be back after this. Engage with Andy Bush takes you inside the mind of a top global market and public policy analyst who has been featured regularly on CNBC, Yahoo Finance, and numerous radio and television programs. Our program will bring you guests and stories from the top of the political and business worlds. Each show includes Andy's point of view roundup and what it means for you at home. Life's complicated. Let Andy help you figure it out. 
Tune in every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you are a woman who is in a transitionary state of your life, such as a divorce, marriage, upcoming retirement, changing jobs, or even careers, there are usually many financial decisions that you may be faced with. On Women Be Wise, host Darlene Gilmore can help with some important advice on a variety of subjects for women in almost any state of their financial lives. You'll want to listen every Thursday morning for Women Be Wise at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Stephanie O'Connell. She's done a new book called The Broke and Beautiful Life. Her website is thebrokeandbeautifullife.com. Welcome back to the show, Stephanie. Great. So we're talking about spending. Uh, How about relationships? And say somebody starts dating and uh, that can cost a lot and break your budget very easily and you don't want to look like a cheapskate. How can people handle uh, the expenses involved with a relationship without breaking their budget? Well, good news for me is that I write about money for a living, so it made it really easy to talk about money from date number one. (laughs) But just in general, I think being very upfront with your values, um, it doesn't even have to be coming out right and saying, well, I don't like to spend a lot of money or I have savings goals or whatever. But just saying, you know, let's do something uh, fun and affordable for the first date. And you kind of set a precedent from the start. And I think that's important because if you're not going to be on a date with someone who's on board with you from the beginning of just that level of being open to being frugal or prioritizing finances or long-term finances above short-term whims and dates, then that's probably not going to be a person who shares your values in the long term anyway. So I really try to keep the conversation open and honest, and I try to make it fun, too. You know, how, how can we do this? How can we uh, spend time together in a way that isn't going to cost us a lot of money? That can be a game, and it can be creative. And uh, my boyfriend and I spent a lot of time just biking around the city and looking at new neighborhoods, which is so much fun. It doesn't cost us anything. So uh, I really encourage people to kind of explore that with another person as they're getting to know them because it helps those values align together from the beginning. You talk about the urge to splurge and some of the emotional reasons that people splurge. What what are some of the big reasons that people splurge that don't really realize uh, is is being caused by emotional uh, issues? 
Yeah. Well, I think everyone everyone gets the I'm in a bad mood, so I'm going to go buy something so I feel better. Even if it's not shopping spree, if it's food or something, you're still spending money. Oh, I feel better temporarily. Or you could have something like, oh, I'm going to celebrate because I just got this job and this promotion and I'm going to go buy something or to justify or to uh, reward. I ran the marathon last year and I would come home from all my runs and be like, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to go get some of my favorite artisan tacos across the street because I just ran 20 miles and I deserve it. And it's really easy to get into these kind of emotional responses that are connected to spending. And once again, you fall into this trap with the habits if you do that. Like I said, it's okay to do it every so often, but as long as you're consciously doing it and choosing to do it um, with the in-the-moment decision being okay in the context of your bigger goals rather than just some kind of reflexive habit out of an emotion. So I really challenge people to take the time to see what associations they're making between their emotions and their spending and which are serving them and which aren't and Maybe uh, when it's good and when it's not such a good idea. You talk about being social as one of the reasons people spend. There's a lot of pressure to go along with the crowd and uh, spend more than you really can afford. How can you resist that without being kind of a party pooper? honestly very challenging. I have three wedding invitations on my fridge right now, so I'm going through it. Um, But I think... Picking and choosing is a big part of it. I think offering alternatives, um, and not in a rude way, in just a way of saying, oh, let me host a potluck at my house, or let's uh, do this group activity I found, a coupon for it. And just being, again, open and honest and communicating what the alternatives are in a very positive way is a way to get other people on board and to make sure that they know really where your values are so they're not constantly pressuring you. Because honestly, if you know, these are people who love and care about you, hopefully they're on board with supporting your financial goals too. What are some of the things that retailers do to seduce people into uh, spending money they really don't have? Well, they create the most incredible displays and retail environments. I'm sure everyone has walked into some store at some point and felt like they just started to need everything they never knew they needed or even existed before. You know, I walk into an anthropology, and for some reason, I think I need, like, $30 coasters all of a sudden. I know I don't need $30 coasters, but you walk into that environment, and it's all so beautiful, and you're like, I want it. What what piece of this can I take home? And so, you know, I know people who get that when they go to Target. You know, so I really challenge people, again, to make lists. Stay conscious, say, oh, do I really need this? Do I just want this? Is this is this something I'm going to want when it's been sitting in my apartment for a year? One of my favorite exercises is to think about things as if they were in a thrift shop instead of in some beautiful retail environment and say, would this coaster be this sexy if it were at Goodwill and <laughs> it is an anthropology and would I still want it? And that kind of helps ground me in the utility of it all and say, okay, I don't really need this. I can walk away. You have a chapter you call Frugal is Fabulous, uh, kind of praising frugalness and by being the ultimate cheapskate and all that. Do you get grief from your friends that you're too cheap? It's a a little bit. And 
definitely a little bit. I think they've come to appreciate it because they've seen how being how much being frugal ultimately affords me and how I've been really able to capitalize on being frugal and finding cheaper ways to join things. I'm able to do a lot more things. Uh, at the same time, I'm hesitant to spend money that I don't think is of good value. And so if they do, you know, there's definitely an eye roll here and there. Uh, but at the same time, when they sign a deal or they have some clothes to give away or they have an extra money-making opportunity, being known as the frugal one actually comes in handy because I'm the first person they come to. So it's not so bad. <laughs> you have a, cha- a section called when you should do it yourself and when you shouldn't. When does it make sense to try to do yourself repairs or things like that? And when does it make sense to bring in a professional? I think you need to know uh, two things. I think you need to know your skill set, and I think you need to know the value of your time uh, and, and, and the skill set required for the task and the value of that task. And so I know that for some people, they um, do all their repairs on their own. They do all their maintenance on their own. If I were to do that, I might you know, blow up my house. So I'm not going to do that myself. If it's something that doesn't have a lot of risk for failure, sure, like unclogging my sink, I'll find a YouTube video and do it myself. But if it's something that I have the potential to create a disastrous situation that's going to be a lot more expensive and it's going to take me a lot of time, well, I know the value of that time isn't worth it. So if I can get a friend who has that skill set to do it, I'm willing to hire someone to do it. And it doesn't always have to be a highly skilled task either. If your time is worth a lot of money, like if you're a consultant and you make $50 an hour, well, then, um, yeah, it probably makes sense for you to hire someone to, to mow your lawn or clean your apartment because you can value, uh, maximize that time better elsewhere. So it's really about those two things, knowing the value of your time and knowing your skill set. You have a chapter on couponing, the beginner's guide to couponing. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that worth your time to you know collect a few cents off of things or 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 not? How do you decide what what amount of time is worth it to do all that couponing? Yeah, it's funny because I'm a really frugal person, but I'm not like a huge traditional couponer. And when I mean that, I mean like someone who goes through the circulars and clips and all that stuff. What I do do, however, is I have a number of apps on my phone, and anytime I'm about to make uh, a purchase on something bigger, like uh, let's say a TV or a vacation or a gift or whatever, I will always, always, always search for a promo code. Uh, Retail Me Not is one of my favorite shopping apps. I will check before I buy just about anything. I'll also use something called uh, Red Laser or Price Grabber, which are both price comparison tools. Um, and I try to just maximize uh, the moment at hand when I coupon rather than doing all this legwork and creating a binder and all that stuff. And that's great for some people. It's just not great for me um, because, for me, it's not worth it. But doing the quick check on my app, well, that's super easy. It takes me 30 seconds. And more often than not, I find great savings that way. You do have a whole chapter on saving money on food. Uh, this mm-hmm. is an area people spend a lot on. What are some basic ideas of how people can save money on food? I think buying what you need. I mean, I know so many people who throw food out of their, out of their fridges all the time because it's spoiled. Um, and committing to cooking at home instead of ordering out and not letting your food spoil is a, a huge thing. Um, so that takes a little planning, a little work. 
but once you have a few staples, it's very simple. And one thing that's great for me is I'm a vegetarian, so I don't buy any meat. And it's incredibly cheap because beans don't cost very much. Um, and so while I don't say everyone has to be a vegetarian, I do say, well, you know, maybe you can incorporate a few more of those meatless meals into your diet as a way to not only be healthy, but also save money. So a lot of little adjustments here and there, maximizing your food, vegetable drawers are like the black holes of refrigerators, you know, things get lost in there, and then like a week later, you pull out a decomposed cucumber. So just like, be aware, keep inventory, and make a plan for your food so nothing goes to waste. You have a chapter on health and wellness. Um, a lot of people join health clubs and never use it or rarely use it. What do you recommend as, as far as way keeping healthy and also getting good deals on health insurance with the price of health insurance these days? Yeah. So I'm uh, big on preventative care and uh, remaining healthy. And the way I do it is by staying physically active through resources, free resources. So in New York, it's the parks and the streets I run. Uh, there's a free yoga yoga studio, donation-based yoga studio on my block. Uh, there are ample, ample classes everywhere that are free or cheap. And big cities are one of the best places for actually these cheaper activities and cheaper physical workouts. Um, but everywhere has them. If you look, check your community calendar. If you check your library site, actually, the New York Public Library offers free, free yoga, like, every day. It's so funny. But you wouldn't expect to find some of these resources in some of these places. But if you look, you'll find them. And I tell that to everybody. So if, if it's physical activity or it's a class, um, you can see what's available. In terms of health insurance, again, um, I'm not well-versed enough on the law, the new law, to tell people the best way to go about it. Um, but maximizing resources, again, I know that for actors, we have something called the Actors Fund, where they have people specifically trained on getting actors affordable health care, and it's free to go in and make an appointment. So that's what I did. Uh, and just taking care of yourself and staying on top of your preventative medicine so you don't wind up with a huge, huge medical bill once everything is a problem will save you a lot in the long run. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Stephanie O'Connell. Her new book is called The Broke and Beautiful Life, and you can find out more about it at her website, which is The Broke and Beautiful Life. We'll be back after this. Workplaces are only as strong as their teams. Teams are only as strong as their individual members. Are you seeking a better way to take your business to a higher level? We're here to help. Listen for Leading with Social-Emotional Intelligence, Building Trust Through Intentionality and Vulnerability with host Glenn Harris. Together, we'll explore the five key behaviors of a cohesive team and other concepts designed to keep your team working smarter. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Stephanie O'Connell. She's got a new book out called The Broke and Beautiful Life. Her website is thebrokeandbeautifullife.com. Welcome back to the show, Stephanie. Great. Thanks for having me. So another area is travel. Um, sounds like it's very expensive to travel these days. How can you travel and not break the bank? Oh, I'm a big fan of travel, so that's hard for someone who's broke. <laughs> but what I have found is a lot of ways to do it for cheaper. Uh, some ways people might not be so on board with, other ways they can explore. My challenge to everyone is to not negate something, don't not play a try it. Uh, so some of the ways I've done it is through things like couch surfing, where you stay uh, with people for free, and there's a peer review system, kind of like Yelp, where you can see, okay, am I going to be safe staying here? Is this a good environment? Okay. And you can just travel for free that way, kind of crashing with people, and it's kind of an amazing way to connect with other people around the country. For those who that's like way too sketchy for, okay, cool, I get it. Uh, there's other alternatives, too. Airbnb is a great one. Uh, it's where people, you know, rent out a room in their home or an extra space, and it can be something as simple as $10 a night for somebody's couch, or it can be $200 a night for some, you know, private house villa somewhere. So um, there's a lot of range in there and a lot of freedom to explore, and it's great to have all these alternatives because you're not confined to what was once just an expensive hotel. Also, you know, using the deal sites, using things like Hotwire for last-minute deals, checking on Groupon. I'm always finding really great discounted activities there. Um, And in terms of flying, I'm a big, big fan of rewards and flight rewards, and I use my credit cards to rack them up. And then I redeem those miles for free travel. And so that's how I got to Europe last year for free, and that's why I flew to and from New Orleans last year for free. Uh, I just went to Colorado for about $70 round trip, so it's great. I'm such a big fan of travel, and finding ways to make it work within my budget is definitely a priority for me and definitely can be done if you're willing to look. You have a chapter called Break Free of Broke. It's kind of really psychological as well, but all the things we've mm-hmm. talked about, how can you break free of having this kind of broke mentality? I think first thing is appreciating all the money that's coming into your life. I started saying this to sound so silly, this mantra every time I get a paycheck or I find a penny on the street or something. I was just like, I am a money magnet. And it's so silly, but honestly, the money just like flows into my life now. Not that I'm rich yet, but I feel like I'm on my way because I have this uh, freedom from this once status quo that I used to subscribe to of being broke because I was an artist that like automatic automatically meant that that was just going to be my life and I had resigned myself to it and that was my only option and when I started like thinking about my money differently when we were talking about the money mentality before and t- 
creating a new approach, I suddenly saw so many more opportunities. And doing the work to make those opportunities happen through um, alternate income streams and starting my own business and seeing what other ways I could add value to the world in a way that the world would value me back with better income, uh, I really did start to finally distance myself from this life of being broke that I had always lived and starting to find prosperity and wealth and um, all the wonderful things that come with it. And so that's that's the final message of the book is not only to, you know, maximize your budget, but to, to not be limited by it, to, to see what your alternate sources of income could be and to see where you can grow and go to. You end the book by saying you have to stay motivated. Uh, it can be discouraging for people if they run behind and they're not keeping up with their budget and they've got student loan debt and so on. How does one stay motivated to get through and execute the things you've talked about here? Yeah. So I think you need to practice your goals. And the big thing for me was what I talked about before in running the marathon. Uh, When something seems so huge and so impossible, it's very easy to turn off and away from it and to be very discouraged by setbacks. And I think that's what happens when people start a goal with whether it's debt payoff or trying to lose weight or anything else. And so I think breaking down those big, big goals into very, very concrete, uh, small deadlines helps you practice your goals. And so if money isn't your best goal, what are you kind of good at? What can you achieve? And where in achieving that goal can you create momentum in the rest of your life to maybe succeed a little bit better at your money? So what I found is as I got closer and closer to my marathon, I found I was making more and more money. And it it was not coincidence. It was because I was practicing my goals. I was learning follow-through. I was learning how to recover from a setback and stay motivated in the face of all the challenges. And so find what speaks to you. Find your motivation. Connect with your why and stay with it all the time so you can have the big picture with you in the day-to-day challenges and then enjoy it when the time comes. As we have about a minute left, if people read your book, The Broken Beautiful Life, which they can find out about at thebrokenbeautifullife.com, what kind of a difference could it make in their life if they take your advice compared to what a lot of young people today are doing, which is not taking your advice? I think reading the book and implementing the steps and starting the tracking, like I said, will open up your possibilities and open you up to new opportunities uh, that you may have never considered possible before. You can break free of broke. You can break free of that status quo. You can maximize your money. You can actually achieve your savings goals rather than things being a wish forever. We give you the steps to make it happen. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Stephanie O'Connell. Her book is called The Broke and Beautiful Life. You can find out more about it at her website, which is thebrokeandbeautifullife.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answers now, Stephanie. Thank you so much. Thanks again. And we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answers Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answers Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 